You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former major leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr. My pleasure to introduce Sandy Alderson, the president of the New York Mets, uh, to our show. Um, this is really a privilege and a pleasure. Um, we've had some great guests on the show before. We've had Rob Manfred. We've had Scott Boris. We've had GMs, managers, Dusty Baker, Dave Roberts. But Sandy Alderson is really a special, special guest. And not only because he's Sandy Alderson, but also the timing of this right now he is the man of the hour, having just acquired Francisco Lindor. We all know Sandy Alderson, previously in charge of the San Diego Padres, and of course, the Oakland A's, the Bash Brother teams that won one World Series. I thought they might win more than one. They certainly had chances and were always there. So it is my pleasure to bring in Sandy Alderson. How are you doing, Sandy? I'm doing very well, thanks. Uh, just traveling from the uh, spring training site, took a look at the new renovations that Mets put into place uh, over the last couple of years. Place looks great. Fantastic, fantastic. And we're going to get to Lindor, McCann, Carrasco, all that's going on with the Mets. First, I should ask you, you look great. How are you feeling? And why did you decide to take the plunge and come back? Well, thanks for asking. I'm, you know, I'm feeling very well um, uh, and took the plunge uh, really because of Steve Cohen and the opportunity to uh, come back to the Mets and um, accomplish some things that we weren't able to uh, finish over the course of my first tenure. And uh, was very excited about the opportunity to come back with Steve. Okay. Well, you know what I want to ask you, and I, I, I knew Steve Cohen was as a limited partner with the Mets and I was around the team a lot over the last, you know, probably several decades, but um you know, I didn't see him that much. Did you know him well going in? How did this come about? And also, now you're in charge of not only the baseball side, but the business side. Uh, do you feel pressure? I mean, I know you have experience on the business side as well as the baseball side. San Diego, you were in charge of the business side as well. But is there extra pressure? We're talking about now you're working for a man who is a pretty successful businessman, reportedly with $15 billion. That. I would say, define successful businessman. How does it feel working for him and being in charge of his business operations? 
Well, look, we've, we've had a really good relationship uh, over the last uh, year or so that I've known Steve. I have to tell you, based on COVID and some other things, um, we've only really met in person once. So to some extent, you know, this was a leap of faith on his part uh, to name me to this position. Um, it mostly came about through Andy Cohen, who's sort of Steve's right-hand person, um, uh, his personal investor. And uh, Andy is someone that I got to know through the minority ownership meetings that we had periodically with the Mets. Um, you know, so far it's been great. I've had a great relationship. It's all long distance for the most part at this point. Uh, in terms of the business side, look, I'm not an expert. Uh, I was responsible for the business side for several years in Oakland, as well as uh, during my time with San Diego. I'm not an expert on ticket sales and sponsorships and those kinds of things, but I kind of know what um, works and what doesn't uh, from a, you know, a somewhat higher level. But um, look, if, if, the, if the team is good, the business will follow. We need to make sure that the business is in as, in as good a shape as the baseball side. And hopefully, even when the team's not doing well uh, from a business standpoint, um, we can still be successful. Steve is doing all the right things, making all the right investments, not just in players, but infrastructure on both sides of the, of the organization. So I'm really excited. Plus, I'm a curious guy. I, I enjoy being involved in things that are somewhat new um, and, you know, learning different aspects of, of uh, what we're doing. Well, you're pretty new there. I mean, it's uh, to come back. You've been there about three months now, so you don't know everything about how it's going to operate. But you were with the Mets in the other regime for about seven years, I think. Maybe it, maybe it was eight years, but quite a long time. Um, at one point, I know you had the payroll below $100 million uh, for that yes. Mets team, which is quite a low payroll for a big market team. Uh, you know, the fans are expecting an enormous payroll. Now, how has it been different for you? Obviously, you've added uh, three pretty big acquisitions already, so we can see it's going to be a little different. I mean, is it completely night and day? How has it been for you so far? Well, it's, it's a little bit different in that, uh, you know, um, I'm involved in more of the decision-making than, than I was before. I was pretty much limited to the baseball side previously. Um, resources are certainly different. You know, we took our payroll down to less than 100, um, you know, for uh, financial reasons primarily. Um, it was sort of the right thing to do, I felt, at the time. It's nice to have more latitude. And um, um, as a result, more options in terms of not just player acquisition, but also infrastructure. Um, you know, we've hired uh, Jared Porter. We've hired uh, Zach Scott. Uh, we're filling out our player development side. We're really rebuilding the R&D piece, the analytics piece. Um, it's exciting, not just again, not just in terms of the players we acquire, but also the infrastructure that I think will, will be put in place that will allow us to continue to make, hopefully, good decisions. Right. I mean, you've operated in mostly low revenue or, or small revenue or small spending uh, markets and teams, basically, mostly for most of your career. Now, Oakland, uh, obviously, you acquired so many good players that the payroll got up there at some point, but 
You started with Oakland and you're kind of the sort of the originator of Muddy Ball winning on a shoestring in Oakland, along with Billy Bean and San Diego was small market. Of course, they've they're operating a little differently these days. Um, yeah. Operate that way then. And uh, you operated differently, certainly with the Mets in the previous regime. But I want to ask you, uh, big focus is on the luxury tax. You're getting close to it now. Um, you know, obviously the Mets are way improved. You needed a catcher. You got a catcher. You added a, a, a rotation piece that's huge and arguably the best shortstop in the game, best veteran shortstop anyway. Um, where do you guys stand on the luxury tax? Um, do you expect to go over it? Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a decision we'll have to make. We're not close enough yet that it has had a significant impact on us. Getting uh, Lindor and his salary together with uh, Carlos Carrasco definitely um, moves the number up, you know, significantly. Um, look, the, the, you know, the, the luxury tax is the luxury tax. And so we're aware of uh, where that line is drawn. Um, we haven't determined at this point whether we're going to be below it or under it. But, you know, because, just because we're a big market club doesn't mean that we don't have to make choices. And, um, you know, it's as important to have discipline with a big market club as it is with a small market club. In fact, it's more so because with a big market club, you have lots more options. There are things that, you know, with respect to a small market club, you don't even consider because they're just not possible. Here we have a, a larger menu of possibilities, but that doesn't mean you, you, you don't need to be disciplined and it doesn't mean you don't have to make choices. So um, we'll see where, you know, the off season takes us. Um, but obviously the, you know, the luxury tax um, is in the back of our minds. Okay. Well, the biggest choice you've made so far was the Lindor acquisition. I think he is clearly one of the top 10 players in the game, arguably one of the top five players in the game. And it kind of went under the radar. So bad job by us. You kept that quiet very nicely. <laughs> um, That's new for the Mets, by the way. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, how did this start and um, how did it progress and how did you get to this point? I would have thought Cleveland would have wanted it. Dominic Smith, um, you know, you've got Alonzo at first base and Smith doesn't really have a spot with you guys right now. I don't know if you expected DH or not, but um, – um, how did it come to be? You, you ended up trading two prospects along with uh, two shortstops. So you gave up, a, you know, a decent haul. Not crazy. You didn't give up your top, top prospects. So right. um, I think everybody was pretty happy with it in New York. But how did it come to be? Well, we started talking to Cleveland back really in November. Uh, the initial conversations were about players other than Lindor and Carrasco, just, you know, kind of an opening conversation to talk about who might be available there and uh, who might be available from us. At the time, I don't recall us even talking about Lindor or Carrasco. And then over time, it became clear to us, just reading media reports and so forth, that Lindor might be available. Um, there were some conversations about, you know, just a, a one-off with uh, Lindor. Um, there were conversations about a one-off with Carrasco. Um, I mean, shortstop wasn't, a, wasn't our most glaring weakness, 
So, uh, but we definitely needed some pitching. And then we came back, you know, then we came back and asked about both. And, um, you know, it really came to a head early last, about this time last week, like Monday of last week. And uh, it got serious. And I think that was because, you know, some other clubs had also uh, stepped up and they felt they needed to make a decision. Uh, you know, what's interesting is the trade market has worked at a little different pace than the free agent market. And I think that, you know, in some cases, clubs are afraid that a, that a team like ours might go a free agent route. And so before that happens, you know, they engage. And um, unfortunately, the free agent market is pretty much paralyzed right now. So from our standpoint, you know, this worked out pretty well. But um, um, there's this there's this trade off, this tension between free agent market and player market, particularly in an environment where some clubs are looking to offload salary. Um, it's essentially a supplement to the free agent market. So anyway, uh, those things, you know, work differently at different paces. This came together at the right time for us. And uh, so, you know, we're pleased with it. Yeah, I would, I would think so. I mean, he's certainly one of the best players in the game. What, uh, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned that shortstop really wasn't your glaring weakness. Um, you know, I would have looked at said maybe third base might be. And there are third basemen out there. Obviously, Arenado on the trade market and Bryant and Suarez. Um, how closely did you look at that? Is third base still a possibility? If not, who would be your third baseman? Um, where, which way are you leaning right now? I mean, you've got a few guys who played there last year, but no one really established themselves as the starting third baseman. Um, can you envision yourself not acquiring a third baseman and going with what you have, or are you still looking at that? Well, uh, answer the question a little bit indirectly. I, I think right now, you know, we realize that we need to, we need to fill out our 25-man roster in terms of the bench. So if we work from the bench up, um, you know, we'll see where it takes us. But we're going to need some additional players, even if they're not starters. You know, right now our, our starter at third base is, is uh, going to be J.D. Davis. Um, yes, there are, you know, other players available. Um, you know, we have to measure those other players against – guy like JD, not only in terms of ability, but also in terms of control and cost. So um, I don't know where we'll end up, but if we end up with JD at, at uh, third base, I think we'll be fine with that. Okay. So it sounds like you're, you're pretty comfortable there. The other options are rather expensive as well. And you have other things going on too. I know. Um, where does this center field situation stand now? I wouldn't have seen it as a glaring weakness, but we all know that you've been talking to George Springer, who's a free agent. People have suggested you're the favorite or Toronto, maybe. Um, is that still a possibility? I mean, obviously, it's a lot of money. I mean, my understanding is he's looking for something close to $175 million. You know, everybody can ask, of course. He's going to get a lot, though. He may not get $175 million, but it's a lot of money. Whatever he gets, it's going to be something in the nine figures. Is that still a possibility, you think? Well, if you look at our roster right now, in terms of starters, guys that we'd like to put in the outfield, we really only have two. We need three, at least three. We need four, probably five. So, you know, without commenting on any specific free agent, we definitely have some work to do there. Um, 
And, you know, we want to make sure that we're not overly left-handed. Um, you know, there are other uh, considerations as well. So, um, you know, we're still working on that as far as, you know, a big time free agent is concerned. We'll just have to see, you know, where the market goes and what's available to us as we begin to, um, uh, you know, address not only our needs, but also manage our payroll as it gets uh, larger and larger. Yeah, reading between the lines there, it sounds like you're not out on Springer and uh, maybe others. Um, have you heard he's from Connecticut? Um, is there a sense out there that he'd like to be a Met, like to come to New York? You know, I just hear, you know, different things through the grapevine. I don't really know. He's not confiding with, me, with me, in me, but have you heard that? Well, look, you know, he's from Connecticut. I, I, I think, you know, given what's, you know, the, the level of excitement, enthusiasm surrounding the Mets, I don't think we've been uh, crossed off his list. I don't know what his preferences are, but, uh, you know, it seems to me that with respect to a lot of free agents, they want to make sure we're still on the list. Um, and that's for tactical reasons as, as well as other reasons. So, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, we're, we're, we're still engaged in a loose sense with, uh, with Springer, as, as I would assume other clubs are as well. Right. Okay. Very good. Um, obviously, Carrasco really helps the rotation. Yeah. And Stroman uh, gives you another starter. That, that wasn't really your decision, though. That was left to the previous regime. Is that, is, my, is that right? And also, are you still looking at the rotation, maybe for depth at least? Well, uh, the decision on Stroman was with the prior regime, although we were consulted. So um, I don't know that they would have extended the offer had we not um, agreed, but uh, there was some consultation there, but ultimately it was their decision. Um, you know, Carrasco really does lengthen us out a little bit, but we're still looking for pitching. I think Jared Porter the other day made it clear, you know, you never stop looking for pitching. So, um, we're still looking and, um, you know, whether it's primarily for depth or somebody that can step right into the rotation we'll just, again, we'll just have to see what transpires. Right now you've, you've helped the pen, obviously, um, You've already signed a pitcher for the pen, very good pitcher, right-hander out of the Twins. Um, and uh, I'm wondering, is Lugo, Lugo is likely for the pen at this point, I think. And are you looking at any of the other marquee relievers that are still out there? We know that Hendricks just signed, but Hand is still out there. Melanson is still out there. Rosenthal. I mean, there's a pretty decent list of relievers yeah. out there. Is Diaz likely your closer, or are you still thinking about that? And is Lugo probably in the bullpen at this point? Well, I don't know that uh, uh, Luis, uh, our manager, has um, you know designated anybody the closer. I don't think that'll happen until uh, much later, probably late in spring training. But um, and Lugo's situation, you know, is something that we'll have to determine. I, I would hope that we determine it going into spring training, so that uh, you know he can he can uh, prepare accordingly. Um, I do think, you know, we've enhanced, we've improved the, the rotation, we've improved the bullpen. So I think now it's not a question of need so much as it is, okay, where does he best fit? Where, where is he uh, of most value to the team? And I think that's a decision that we'll make. But look, if we were to sign another reliever, it might 
nudge him toward the starting rotation. If we were to sign a, another starter or two, maybe some that have options, you know, depth pieces, it might nudge him in the other direction. And again, we haven't really sat down and talked extensively with uh, Louis Rojas or the pitching coach, Jeremy Hefner. Um, but I think there's, there's still sort of a split camp on, on Lugo. He's, he's been a starting pitcher. He's been a good one for periods of time. Um, but he's also done very well in the bullpen. So, um, you know, as far as our bullpen is concerned, we're, we're, we're very right-handed. It's funny. We're very left-handed on the position player side. We're very right-handed on the, uh, on the bullpen side. And so that's something we, we, we need to keep in the back of our minds as well. Right, and you added uh, Trevor Mayhem. His name escaped me yeah. as I was discussing it before. Yeah. Very good pitcher, did a great job last year, last couple of years with the Twins. Um, I want to ask you about the catching situation. A lot of people thought you would look at Real Muto pretty carefully, and you ended up signing McCann, who has been really good the last couple of years with the White Sox. In fact, he was great last year, um, both offensively and defensively. Um, what, what happened there with Real Muto exactly? It seemed like, um, you know, none of the biggest free agents have signed yet. So I guess it's not shocking as we look back on it, but um, some of us were surprised that uh, it wasn't Real Muto for the Mets. What happened? Nothing really happened. I think I don't think Real Muto was, was ready to make a decision at the time we were ready to make a decision. So, um, and look, uh, every choice has its consequences. Um, let's say hypothetically we would have we, we had signed Real Muto instead of McCann. Uh, would we still have been actively engaged with Lindor and Carrasco? I don't know. So, you know, I think that you got to look at the totality of the situation mm -hmm. and the fact that we chose to go another direction behind the plate uh, may may have put us in the right posture to be able to do Lindor Carrasco. Um, um, but you know, you, you don't. This is this is not a continuum. It's just kind of a linear. You you got to make decisions from time to time and and recognize the the uh, implications of those decisions. But um, you know, by signing McCann, we got a very good player, and we maintained some flexibility, which allowed us to engage with Cleveland. Um, Engaging with Cleveland and getting Lindor and Carrasco limits perhaps other options, but leaves other options uh, available. I mean, from our standpoint, one of the important things over the last three or four weeks of the offseason uh, upcoming is to be in a position to take advantage of some opportunities. Again, like we have uh, at the beginning of the offseason, the middle of the offseason, we want to be in a position to take advantage of some, some things at the end of uh, the off season as well, but <clears throat> we don't want to leave everything to the, to the end. Um, so anyway, this is how we've chosen to approach it. And we're, it. we're happy with the results so far. Sure. It's been great so far for the Mets. Um, did you make an offer for Real Muto? And um, just to take a big picture macro look at the free agency, what, what do you think is going on there at the top of the market? It seems like Springer is a little further along than some of the other guys because he has two teams that are at least that we know about that are kind of in the mix. These other teams really have, these other players don't really have teams connected to them yet at this point. It just seems like we're far away from getting the answers yet. We're only 
probably a little more than a month from spring training. So what do you think is going on there? And did, did you take a shot at Real Mudo? I mean, I guess you gave him some idea where you, where you stood before yeah. moving on. I don't think there was any ambiguity at the time. Um, here's what I think is going on. I think there, there are two factors that are affecting things. One is, is industry economics. And look, we can argue about, you know, increases in, in uh, franchise value versus, you know, um, profit or loss in a particular season. Um, the bottom line is that there was a significant impact, uh, impact on the game economically, and we're working through that right now. I think, the, I think something that's just as important here is the uncertainty surrounding the 2021 season. Are we going to play all of our games? Are we going to have, you know, fans in the stands? What impact is that going to have on, you know, ongoing uh, uh, economics? I think we're all comfortable that it's going to be better than last year, that we're probably not going to play 60 games. But who knows what's going to happen? And I think this is hurting the players. Because given the economic circumstances, there aren't a lot of clubs that are out there being aggressive in the, in, in the marketplace. Um, but it's easy to be less aggressive if, if nothing's happening because of the uncertainty. Um, so I, I think this uncertainty and, and, and the fact that it had, there's been no resolution between the players and, the, and MLB on exactly what will happen is freezing the market. And um, so I don't want to point fingers, but I, I don't think I don't think this is this is good for players. And, um, you know, maybe it's good for clubs, but I definitely don't think the situation is good for players. I, at some point, you know, the Players Association probably needs to recognize that anyway. Yeah, well, it, it's been good for teams, at least the Mets, the White Sox, the Padres and the Royals have taken advantage and the other. 26 teams to varying degrees have kind of sat on the sidelines. So that's what I mean. Yeah. You've kind of taken advantage of it. Um, by the way, um, I think part of the uncertainty, the, the bigger issue is the economics, obviously, but um, do you have any feel on the DH? I mean, you're impacted. No, by that. I don't have any no. feel for it at all. No. Are you going to hold on to Dom Smith? Because uh, we, you might need him. You might need Dom's, a not, Dom's not going anywhere. Okay. He's good. He's getting hit. He's a quite a good, but can he play the outfield? What do you, what's your feeling? Well, look, it's not ideal. I, I, you know, I get that. Um, but, um, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with the DH. Um, but look, we're not going to be a perfect team. There aren't that many that ever have been perfect. And, um, so we'll do what we have to do. Um, we like his offense, obviously. And, um, we're going to hope we're better defensively, uh, particularly with Lindor, you know, up the middle at shortstop. Um, and we still have the possibility of, of addressing center field, but, um, you know, Dom's going to be on the team and uh, hopefully he doesn't have to play left field, but if he does, he does. Yeah. He can hit and he's a great guy for the team as well. He's yeah. a terrific individual. Um you know, speaking of the economics, um, I'm, maybe I'm naive. I do think the teams were hurt badly, and I do think the teams lost money uh, last year in the pandemic. So did the players. Obviously, the players only got 37.5% of their salary. 
So it was a big hit for the players. But yeah. I do believe the teams uh, lost money. Um, the rumors were, as Steve Cohen and others were bidding for the team, that the Mets lost $150 million or something like that, or have lost consistently uh, huge bucks over the last several years. Is that right? Could you could they have lost 150 million dollars? No, I don't. I don't know what their uh, what their financial position was last year. I mean, obviously they were motivated to sell. That probably had some uh, something to do with uh, the the economics and the losses. But I don't. I don't know what the what the number was. Okay, Thor. People are very interested in Thor. Obviously, a guy that you acquired. Terrific talent. Um, when is he going to be back? And what are you? What are your expectations for Noah Syndergaard? Well, right now, you know, I expect him to be back in the you know the June time frame. Now that could change. It could move up. It could move back. Um, that was the last projection that I that I saw based on you know when he had the surgery and how the rehab was going. Um, you know, we expect him when he comes back to be pretty good. Whether he you know, as good as a fourth starter in a rotation at the outset or something better than that, who knows? Um, I think the bigger question is, you know, how many innings he can throw. I mean, one of the nice things about coming back in June, even though we'd like to have him back earlier, is that the inning situation, you know, the limitation may not present itself just because he will have started the season uh, later in the calendar. Yeah, and your division, obviously – Miami surprised teams last year. Uh, the Nats are making moves. They were the world champion only two years ago. You know, the Braves are really good, the division champion the last couple of years. Where do you think the Mets stack up? Right now, people are saying the Mets are right up there near, near the top. Where do, you, where do you feel? And do you feel like you're uh, – you said you weren't one player away. You've acquired three good players now. Are you close to one player away? Or closer. <laughs> fair uh, enough fair enough uh yeah look it's a it's a it's a tough division it's going to be very competitive we think we're competitive um i hesitate to you know prognosticate beyond that that's for you and others uh in the media presumably to do but um you know we're getting there we're getting closer okay and when steve Cohn came in that introductory press conference which was so well received. He's really uh, done a great job um, with everything. It's particularly public relations, but certainly acquiring players. That's been, you've been a big part of that. He had suggested like to win the world series in three to five years. Um, you know, I think he'd like to be a good team. <laughs> Me too. would <laughs> like to be a consistently good team. It's probably hard yeah. to say win the world series, but um, what do you think about that? Oh, look, it's a, uh... It's, it's a laudable goal. Um, you know, if we do things right, I think that, uh, look, we got to the World Series during my last tenure with the Mets. In f it was the fifth year with, as you pointed out, along the way, payrolls under $100 million. So, you know, three to five years, World Series. I think that's unreasonable to ask. Um, certainly been done before. There's a certain amount of luck associated with that. But if we, you know, if we, we continue to make measured decisions, have some discipline, build out our infrastructure, um, are smart about the contracts that we take on, um, I think we have, you know, 
I think we have a chance to emulate some of the more successful franchises in the game because one of the things we want to be able to do is sustain excellence, which we weren't able to do before. And I think part of that was my fault, but part of it was, I think, a lack of infrastructure as well, um, which, again, doesn't relate directly to just how wealthy the owner is. Right. You mentioned uh, you're more involved in the decision making now, and I know you are with the business side as well. But are you do you have you feel like you have more say in the baseball end of things as, as well? I mean, I know you're it's early in the game, but um, do you have uh, look, carte blanche to decide at this point? And is that different? Look, I don't I wouldn't I would say anybody has carte blanche, probably not true anywhere in the game at some point. You know, certain decisions are of such magnitude that they have to be reviewed and approved by an owner. Um, but, I, you know, I do think that uh, on the baseball side, again, particularly with infrastructure, there's a little we have a little more latitude and uh, I'm trying to promote that. And uh, so far, you know, Steve's been very sympathetic to what we're trying to build. Very good. And before I let you go, I want to ask you. Now you are 73 years old. You're a young 73. You're in great shape. <laughs> you came back. It's a little surprising to some that you decided to come back, but um, you're obviously all in and you're working 24 hours a day. Do you have a time frame in mind of how long you want to keep doing this, um, particularly both jobs? No, I don't have a time frame. Look, I, I have a. I told you at the outset. You know, I've I've met Steve once in person. There was a leap of faith there. Um, we're still, um, getting to know one another and, uh, that's not just through conversation, but, you know, through decisions we make, things that he does, et cetera. We'll see how it goes. Um, so far it's been great. And, um, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm confident that that will continue. Okay. I'm going to throw you one wild card question that you probably aren't expecting. And that is. Um, the Hall of Fame vote. Um, uh -huh. Is there anybody, I mean, you've been in this game since the early 80s, came in, were a lawyer in the Bay Area, you came in running the A's. Uh, so you've been around 40 years at this point. Yeah. Um, how are we doing on our Hall of Fame vote? Have we left somebody? Have we missed some obvious guys that should be in the Hall of Fame? Is there anybody in your mind that you've seen over the last 40 years, you say, why isn't this guy in the Hall of Fame? I saw him play. He's clearly a Hall of Famer. Or would you say, you know what, the writers may be doing okay at this point? Yeah, so, you know, I think the writers, for the most part, get it right. I think that, uh, you know, in recent years, so I've been on two uh, Hall of Fame uh, review committees, you know, for those who didn't get um, voted in by the media. And I think that, to some extent, it, those weren't oversights, but I think that players are viewed a little bit differently today than may have been 20 or 30 years ago. And so I think that there's a different perspective on their performance that might be coming into play. But um, um, no, I think the media pretty much gets it right. And what I enjoy about the Hall of Fame vote is the debate that takes place, you know, beforehand. Um, in terms of vetting, you know, vetting various people, uh, uh, and the, the more recent phenomenon of, of writers actually revealing how they voted and take, you know, being accountable for how they voted. 
which I think is good for the process. Um, but, uh, you know, guys slip through the crack. And so when those committees are formed and reviewed, there's typically somebody that gets in. I'm not sure I agree with all of those uh, selectees who you know, have been put in by committee, but that's what committees are, you know, differences of opinion and ultimately majority rules. But I've really enjoyed those those uh, assignments. And um, uh, I know the people on those committees take it very seriously. But bottom line, I think I think the media does a pretty good job. Well, thank you. Who, who may I ask, do you recall who got in on the committees that you were uh, part of who, who was added as a Hall of Fame? Ah, Alan Trammell, um, Ted Simmons. Was Jack uh, Morris in there? Marvin Miller, Jack Morris. Um, I don't know. That might cover it. Um, okay. Yeah. I like those picks. I voted for Trammell and Morris, so I like those picks. Good there you job. go. There you go. It's been a real privilege and a pleasure to interview Sandy Alderson, Mets president, who's obviously uh, the man of the hour, certainly in New York, and also baseball, and probably a Hall of Famer at some point himself. So it's been my pleasure, and thank you very much, Sandy. Hey, I've enjoyed it. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.